Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable, also a two-time Dan Lebetard Show Suey winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into episode number 155 of the one and only Hog Talk Podcast, live from the Heinemann Services Studio. I am your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes, and we thank you, as always, for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever forum you're listening to, the way you get notified whenever we release a new episode, and if you could be so kind to leave us a review with some star power, it really helps get our name out there and to reach more people. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys, we're brought to you by Bet Online, the NFL playoffs, NBA, and college basketball are in full swing, and whether you're it's team spreads, totals to team and player and coaching betting props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and you can also get involved virtually through the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today to sign up and get started. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And Porter, I hope you uh, – Staying pretty warm up there, man. I know you just got back from Fayetteville. It's really uh, – y'all have had some pretty inclement weather up there in the northwest part of the state. I know we've been staying fairly – at least dry of that. It's not been dry in terms of rain, but glad you uh, made it home from the game. I know we'll get into that here in just a second. That was a tough one for the girls Sunday night. Yeah, it definitely was. And weather-wise, it's – I've been doing a lot of work in northwest Arkansas. I live in the River Valley, and I made a joke the other day that – when you drive through the Bobby Hopper tunnel, it's like the game of Thrones. It, <laughs> Cause when I was on the North side, it was snow and snows all over. The ground. You come through the tunnel right there near Winslow and uh, there's nothing. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of hilarious, but yeah, it's been a little cold and, but it's due time for us to have an actual winter around here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying the other day. And I was, I, I didn't make the joke to you guys. I think that I had it typed out and forgot to press send. And longtime listeners will understand this, but it's a good thing that nobody was trying to transfer because, you know, getting into that Bobby Hopper transfer portal tunnel would have been kind of d- tough during this kind of weather with how slippery it was. But it um, seems like everybody's been staying safe up there. And uh, before we get started into basketball, guys, I want to talk about our newest sponsor, Manscaped. I know we introduced it last week, and Ty went over it on Friday's show. But this is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer Spending 18 months, their engineers spent that much time perfecting the greatest below-the-belt trimmer ever created and just recently released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with your code HOG, H-A-W-G, at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, H-A-W-G, for 20% off and free shipping. So we'll get right into the men's and women's report. We'll go ahead and start off with the good stuff from the men's. They blow out Georgia 99-69, to improving to 10-2. and and two and two in the SEC on the year. Got very impressive collective effort from freshman Moses Moody, Devo Davis, and Jalen Williams. 
Moses, he, he had a pretty a really tough game against Tennessee, just six points, didn't score in the second half. But, Porter, uh, you know, we got the really tough news officially that K.K. Robinson is out after having surgery on his foot. But just an unbelievable performance uh, from these true freshmen. You know, they've all got a couple of st- – at least a few starts under their belt as of now, talking about Moses, Devo, and Jalen. And this is uh, what Coach Eric Musselman had to say right after – uh, the game, uh, again, that they all just had such an incredible collective effort in. I thought Jalen Williams was – I mean, I, you know, I kind of on the radio, Bob just mentioned Devo. Uh, Devo, great offensively, great defensively. Uh, Jalen Williams, phenomenal on the glass. Uh, phenomenal. Four offensive rebounds, nine total rebounds for us. Um, in 19 minutes, he took a charge. Uh, turnovers are a little high, but but we'll continue to work with them in plus 29 when he's on the floor. So um, I, I, I thought Jalen was awesome. And, it, you know, Moses uh, today was great as well. I mean, 9 of 15 from the field. He makes all his foul shots, 5 for 5, 25 points. I mean, the three of them uh, tonight were fantastic. How good? How good? Yeah, I mean, he took the words right out of my mouth. Just to have all these guys this early into conference play, so you're four games into conference play and and three out of the four incoming guys that you had, minus the grad transfers, which we'll get into, Vance Jackson's big day and his last two big games here in just a second. But just incredibly uh, encouraging to see them. You know, you struggle a little bit, or you struggled quite a bit last week, losing to Missouri when you can't can't hit a, a shot at all. And then against Tennessee when you turn the ball over and, Coach Musselman, uh, he's going to make sure that these mistakes that you make in a game get taken care of pretty quickly, and that's pretty much what they did uh, against, uh, uh, against. oh, my gosh, uh, the team that they just beat. I just lost it. Yeah. <laughs> you do it. My bad. I, I, was, I was sitting here talking about uh, Tennessee and Missouri, and I forgot about Georgia. So, yeah, just an incredible collective effort. And, they, uh, man, it's just nice to be back on the winning side. Well, the biggest two tails, I'm looking at the stats right now, you know, coming off the, the bad performance and their shooting and what we said, what, eight for 35 they went? Okay. So they went 12 for 21 in threes and 15 for 18 on free throws. Huge, huge when you're, you're, you're playing a team like that and a much-needed bounce-back win. Jalen Williams, I've noticed the past couple of games his defensive presence has really – it's like I questioned him at the beginning of the year. Like, he needs to get tough. He really needs to find himself and become a – SEC player and just with his block shots that's going to start causing teams to really scout against him and they're going to think twice about bringing you know bringing in the hole and another thing let's look back at last year you know you've seen what happened when Isaiah Joe went out and what happened how Mason Jones really had to pick the team off and put him on his back and, and carry the team this year they had Justin Smith go out. Now you say KK Robinson's out for the season. That's two of their stars that are out, and they still managed to not only win by 30, but score 99 points in the game. Yeah, and also, too, something you got to remember is, I mean, they came out, they were they were trying to take out, Georgia was trying to take Connor Vanover out of the game. They came out shooting. I think Connor only played, it wasn't very long. I've actually got it right here. Connor only played a total of three minutes right at the very beginning of the game. And right at the beginning of the second half. And it really seemed like as soon as they got into the flow of the game, you really just had five of your best shooters and five of their best shooters on the floor because they were trying to hit it from the perimeter, which I think that LSU will probably do a lot of as well. Uh, we'll get into that here in just a second. But, man, you well, know. Before we skip, yeah. before we skip I, I think the big thing is Musselman seen what Kamara was doing. And yeah. 
he didn't want it to turn into a, a game where it would get out of the reach. This was a very important game for Arkansas to bounce back from. And he's seen the mismatch and he's seen that Vanover wasn't going to be able to handle him defensively. So he immediately took him out. I, that's kind of what they were talking about on the radio, um, how quickly they got him out. And also Devo Davis, you know, that was the reason why he was inserted in the starting lineup. That's another thing Musselman had mentioned in the press conference after the game. They wanted him on their other top guy, Wheeler, you know, and he did a really good job. So th th I've seen spurts where this team can really get after you and it almost brings you back to the, the 40 minutes of hell, how just how scrappy they are and how, how well they are on defense. Yeah, you talked about Wheeler. He did some good things inside, and he was very accurate in his shooting, really stepped up when Kamara was at. Kamara only played 16 total minutes, and he got 15 points. That's how much he got. I think it was up to three or four personal fouls five minutes into the second half. So you take him out of the game, and then you just do exactly what you needed to do. You came out, and you came just within a point of scoring 100. So it was really great to see this offense get going. Scored 56 points in the second half. I mean, you just could not miss. And it's going to get tougher from here. You look at their next game against LSU, and, and I was looking through LSU's schedule earlier, and I know that they were very high. I think they were like a top three team in the preseason, and they're, they're really good. I'm not taking anything away from them. It's always going to be tough on the road, especially at LSU. But there are two losses that they have. One was to St. Louis, that, who I believe is still ranked, and the other to Florida. Looking at their schedule, I could definitely – I don't think it's crazy to say that Arkansas is going to be their toughest competition, especially coming off the way that they played against Georgia. But I really like Arkansas's chances in this game. You still don't have – it's probably going to be another two weeks or so, maybe a little longer that, until you have Justin Smith. But, man, well, let's talk about Vance Jackson. So, out of the three grad transfers, you know, Jalen Tate, uh, I'd say by far the best one so far in the overall season was was clearly Justin Smith. But Jalen Tate's been uh, been really good, too. All of your guys that that have come, that came in as the grad transfer have been very quality, but Vance Jackson finally really stepped up in these past. I think in the last two games, he's seven from eleven, seven out of eleven from three, just really stepped up right there. He's almost guaranteed to hit it from the right corner there anytime he takes a three point shot. But just to be able to have these, we talk about the freshmen stepping up. Just to have those guys, the way that they were able to do this, and, you know, it's you're, it's almost like, you know, fans, the automatic reaction for fans to whenever you see one of your star players go out is just to panic and all oh, the season's over and this. We're, we're very young, but we still, and we've talked about this so many different times, how there's so much improvement and so much chemistry to be formed because this has just been an odd type year, especially for a team that has just not played together at all before this season. And so... The way that Vance Jackson was able to step up and hit those threes and give this team what they needed, that, that just is another example of what this coaching staff is able to do. And, uh, you know, they fix things really quick. They fix the shooting. I think even in the loss to Tennessee, we still shot a little over 50% from the field. And then against Georgia, you really limited the turnovers. And so that really helped a lot. And so it's just extremely positive going into uh, – and over the next month or so, I mean, really, I mean, in the SEC, it's it's tough. I mean, the basketball has gotten a lot more quality over the last few years, and so it's not going to get any easier. But I'll, I'll tell you, I really, really feel good about going to play the Tigers in Baton Rouge next week or this yeah, week. Yeah, and it all depends on how they look, you know, if they're not – because they got a big matchup against Alabama on the road. So, I mean, they got to take it one, time, one game at a time, excuse me. But to your point about Vince Jackson, it, he was hitting shots when they needed. I mean, it was like – 
run starters. I mean, he would hit a huge three that would spark these runs. And in the first half, they were able to get Kamara in foul trouble. And you thought they were going to go on a little run to end the first half. But Georgia found a way to come back and close the gap. So they really had a big second half and really pulled away from, you know, Georgia. But I do want to say something we were talking about in the group chat. I mean, there was some kind of calls that uh, on the radio broadcast, Kamara picked up his third foul, I believe, or fourth, third or fourth foul, I believe. And he, it, the foul was not on him. And the bench for Georgia didn't realize this. And they didn't question it or have it reviewed to change. And I can't remember who really – uh, committed might have been Wheeler who quit, committed the foul but I know Chuck and Z was talking about man they really need to check this because instead of having two fouls or three three fouls that was his fourth that's right that would have been his fourth foul so I mean we kind of you know got a little help from the refs and it really you know when a player like Kamara gets in foul trouble we've seen it in the girls we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of that later but I think Arkansas really used that to the advantage and I think that's going to be one of the underlining uh moments that is really not going to be talked about when it comes to the game yeah they definitely they took just about everything to their advantage you look at the stats here 52 percent from the field 57 percent from three it's just absolutely phenomenal did really well from the free throw line both teams shot pretty well from the free throw line uh arkansas was 15 of 18 out rebounded them 40 to 30 and so that's one thing that you do have to take into account you know we don't we don't want to look at the negative things but you also have to like you said i mean with the you know arkansas fans if if that would have been if the, if the shoe would have been on the other foot, you would have definitely heard about it. And I won't get too deep into that because I know some some people got a little upset with me uh, against Missouri for pointing out that you can't just blame the rest for everything. But um, you know, I, I think that we we also put ourselves in a great possession to win. But you know, that definitely didn't hurt whatsoever. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just glad to see really that um, that they came out with that with that for because. I think it was a eight to eight to nothing at first. Whenever Wheeler, like right up there at the beginning of the game, I mean Wheeler just uh, or Kamara and Wheeler both were just on fire, couldn't miss. They uh, it looks like Georgia didn't really have a whole lot of. They had one guy, I think it was uh, was it that had that had uh, a lot of points off the bench. But besides that, was it Garcia? Was that his name? I'm trying to look at it here. Uh, yeah, it was Garcia that had 15 off the bench. Besides that, they just had three, um, and so. You know, you look at what we were, what we had with Vance Jackson coming off there, and uh, like going back to that, and JD Note, you can't discount him. You know, I mean, he's just been maybe the best in the SEC off the bench so far this year, averaging around like fourteen to fifteen points a game. I mean, he uh, he, he has been a, a guy that I don't think has been talked about enough. I know Dick Vitale gave him quite a bit of a bit of pub after the Auburn game when they won their first SEC game on the road, but JD's just been great. Desi, I think he's still just trying to – I don't know. I, I, I feel like that in, he did really well against Auburn. And I was like, man, maybe this starting role just really is for him. It seemed like all season that that's been the case. But I think that he's just kind of I – don't, I don't know what it is right now. They said that, you know, Musselman told him he doesn't want it to be like it was against uh, against Missouri where you're – I think, I think he only took like maybe – I can't remember the exact number, but it was like a handful of shots – he doesn't want him to be that. He wants him to take the shots. He wants him to be this leader on the team. But you also don't want to have an awful game against Tennessee, taking bad shots there. So I just think that he's in a little bit of a slump right now. We saw that he hit a slump at the beginning of the season last year. It wasn't really that good from three, but he ended up getting it taken care of, getting it figured out, and and as an end result, had an incredible end of the year before things got canceled. So 
Um, I, I'm, I really feel good. I still stand by what I've continued to say, what I've said since really the first two weeks of the season, that this team will be – now we're past the first three games. We played four um, when I had said that we could possibly in, end up 0-3 through the first three games of the season, and here we are moving right along as we get closer to mid-January, and I still think this is going to be a, uh, a top-four team in the SEC once all – is said and done. So, again, the Razorbacks beat the Georgia Bulldogs 99-69, to and they will play later on. Uh, they, they'll, they'll play later on this week on Wednesday night against LSU in Baton Rouge, and that's at 6 on ESPN2. And the women suffered a heartbreaking loss, which, Porter, you were there sitting, and, and we uh, lost to number 8, A&M, 74-73. With Amber Ramirez out, Chelsea Dungy had just another phenomenal game, has been one of the best players this season, I mean, just like it's expected, but she is living up to that hype of being one of the best players in the SEC. Had another incredible game. You had three starters hit double digits. Michaela Daniels with 16, Destiny Slocum with 13, and Jalen Mason, who normally comes off the bench uh, for Amber with 13. And, uh, man, just so much fight. You know, there was you, we talk about a game of runs. That's what this game had. These Every single time that we got punched in the mouth, we punched right back, and then, just to have it end the way that it did was just extremely tough. Yeah, I'll start with the ending. Um, it was insane. Um, Texas A&M got the ball, drove down. It looked like, like you said in the text, that the play was just unfolding. But they've been able, they were able to drive a lot, you know, in the game. And she threw up a shot with four tenths a second left, and it went in. So neighbors calls a timeout. They get the ball at um, half court. So. They drew up a play, and as soon as they threw the ball up, it was, I mean, they lobbed it way up high. And the ball was in midair. The buzzers go off, like, to sound the end of the game. And we all know you can't start the clock until you, you somebody possesses the ball. Well, I'm getting an alert from ESPN on my phone, and I'm showing everybody on press row, like, they've done called the game, Texas A&M won. So we're just kind of waiting for them to reset the clock. Well, they set a play where Chelsea curls around and she catches the ball and throws up a shot. And from our vantage point, what we've seen, she got touched and refs just kind of swallowed the whistle, horn sounded, and they just walked right out of the arena. I mean, there was no, you know, coach was wanting to know just an explanation, like what happened, they wasn't having it. And the biggest part of what I had with it is in the fourth quarter, the refs really started – calling you know touchy fouls and I was really proud of them because we, we gotten away from when the offensive player goes to drive to the hole they always want to put their arm out and extend it and it hardly ever gets called well they got called for three of them so and ref's job is to really maintain the game you really don't get out of hand and in a close game like that especially you don't want to start letting get things out of hand because then emotions and then you're going to start getting some chippiness so that's the only reason why I had the question of why they didn't call it because it, it was a foul. You got you can't just not because it was the last play of the game. But if you rewind all this two possessions earlier, Arkansas had the ball, 30 seconds left. All you got to do, the, I mean, there would have been one second left in the difference between the game clock and the play clock. So, I mean, they turned the ball over and allowed AM to score and, and go ahead. So, I mean, you could look at it both ways. Of course, your emotions as a fan, you'll get caught up in it. But it was a hard-fought game. And what we previously mentioned about the men's team, 
You know, you didn't have Amber Ramirez in the lineup. Kelsey Dungy got in foul trouble halfway through the second quarter. So at that point in time, AM was already up six. Chelsea goes to the bench in foul trouble. I'm like, oh man, now this is about to be a 15, 16 point lead at half. But they grinded. Now, I mean, Destiny Slocum, you know, she stepped up. Michaela Daniels stepped up. Jayla Mason, you know, coming in the starting role, really stepped up. And that just shows you how deep both teams are. Because if this was last year for either team in the same situations, what we talked about, it would have been a 20-point game in the other direction. Yeah, I think this game probably was the best. Just for Jalen, personally, I think this could have been the best kind of scenario for her. I mean, you know, you never want Amber to be out or anything like that. But I'm just saying, for her to get 38 minutes coming off an injury last year, she's done well off the bench this year, but she really needed more minutes just to keep continue to get it's, it's tough coming off an injury on top of a pandemic. So I think that this really was valuable for her. Had a great game, 5 for 11 from the field, 3 for 5 from, from deep. And uh, just did what she was asked to do. You talked about Destiny Slocum. She started off a little slow, started to heat up there right at the end. And and Riley Langerman, you know, she came in right there at the end of the second half and had two big rebounds. One of them, I think, resulted in a Michaela Daniels three. But she just hated to see that. From You know, obviously it wasn't on purpose. But for Chelsea to turn the ball over right there at the end after having such a great game, after she's played so well in SEC play, but it's just one of those things, man. It happens. Athletes, it happens, man. I've I've missed a block before. I've uh, I've missed a basket. I was awful at basketball, so I didn't play past seventh grade. But you know, it just happens, and that's the way that it, that's the way that the cookie crumbles. But just for that to end like that, I, I do think, and I'll say again, I think the refs called a great game overall. But just for it to end like that, man, you just it just. You, there's no so I, I don't know with women's basketball as 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 really good as they are, our team. I hate to use moral victories because, you know, I think I feel like that's for football when we're doing awful under Chad Morris and the end of the Brett Bielema era. But, uh, you know, I, you just can't take anything away from what they did. Yeah, it's really tough to start off one and three in conference. And you got South Carolina coming up in a week. But uh, just uh, extremely proud of these girls, the way that they've played this year, the way they battled in this game against an undefeated Aggie team. Yeah, and I was very impressed with the inside defense. They, yes, I mean, they yes. had 27 points, but – you know, what Coach Neighbors had talked about in the, the previous presser was, you know, when the ball's in the air, I want movement. And they were really moving to the ball, scrappy, you know, stripping the ball in the low post. And they really didn't get let anyone other than Wilson get hot. She had 27. And, you know, it, it's just – it is sad to, you know, the game to come in the way it did. But, I mean, they got to get better at rebounding. Um, it, it's, they're relying a lot on the shooters – and when you got three girls for Texas A&M down low rebounding on every possession, and you got Taylor Thomas trying to really get underneath there and and rebound. Now there at the end, Michaela Daniels would come down to get some and got some huge boards. You know, really did. But I think it needs to be more of at least if you have one or two down there, because if you're going to shoot that much, you're going to have long rebounds. So that that's the only thing that was there was a little lack of the rebounding that I seen. So if that's the one thing I can critique of the game. I just wish there was more of a rebounding effort in the game. Yeah, I, I'll say uh, I think that this might have been, just in terms of their overall inside presence, I'd say that this may be the best game that Taylor and Aaron played collectively. Um, just some of the things they were able to do, some of the pressure that they were able to put on. Number 40, man, she was a uh, she was a force down low. I think her name, uh, Johnson was her last name. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've talked about just what a fan I am of Taylor, the things that she does that does not show. Amber Ramirez and I were actually talking about it a couple of weeks ago, just the things that she does does that are, is not on the stat sheet and that makes shooters like Slocum, like Dungy, like 
Daniels. I mean, it seems like we just have an entire team full of shooters that her and Aaron are able to do. And I think that there's going to be more come in just like that. You know, Coach Neighbors has done an incredible job, he and his staff, of recruiting. And so, you know, I'll say the same thing that I said about the guys if they would have started off 0-3. You know, they're the girls are 1-3 right now, but, you know, this there is so much season left to be played. And it really – we talk about the guys, you know, like in, in certain times, whether they should be ranked or not. You know, to me, the thing about it is just take care of your business, and that will all take care of itself later. And, you know, right now they're, the girls are obviously going to fall in the rankings losing two straight. I think they'll still be in the top 25. Maybe it will be like 20 to 25 range. But either way, there's still a ton left to be played. And they will continue to do that this coming Thursday uh, against Florida. That one's going to be on SEC Network at seven o'clock. So you can it'll be SEC Network Plus. So you'll have to catch that on your iPad or streaming on your computer. It won't be on TV, but you will so, be able to catch. If you're it. not ranked with the men's. If, you, if you're trying to get ranked, you can't keep going one and one in these weeks. You, you got yeah. to start going two and zero. Really build. It's almost like we talked with baseball. You really can't drop these series and then expect to climb in the rankings. Mm-hmm. And that's big. With you know, it's SEC play. You, you've got a game on Wednesday. You got a game on Saturday. So you got to really start going two and zero oh in these weeks, and to even get considered. And then, big part, yeah, you're going to get ranked. But then that's where the work really begins because now you got that target on your back. And we're seeing that with the women this year. You know, they're going to get everybody's best. Texas A&M was just as long as Tennessee was, and you could see the effort in night and day. And I think a lot of that is playing at home. That's another thing that I would like to mention is. You know, they're flying the day of, trying to get a shoot around right before the game, and it's hard to, as a shooter to really get your rhythm. So being at home and Coach you know, coach Gary Blair, he's very familiar with the arena, of course, and him and neighbors have a good relationship, and it's always tough when he comes into town. Yeah, definitely. And you know that these two have so much respect for each other. You know, Gary, Gary Blair being a mentor gave Coach Neighbors his first college job in Fayetteville, and so – a lot of respect for him, man. He did some great things for the program. It took him to the Final Four in 1998. And so, you know, you love him. Whenever they're uh, not playing the Razorbacks, I, I know that I definitely root for him. I don't follow him that heavily. Uh, but, I mean, I, I do like Gary Blair a lot. Always had a huge amount of respect for him. And so, but I'll tell you, this is – I'm not going to say that this this Florida game is a must win, but it's you definitely need to get this one. It would be tough to fall to one and four and then have to play South Carolina. You know, it's just what they've been able to do the last – just become a juggernaut, not just in the SEC, but in college – women's college basketball overall. So we're about yeah, to – oh, go ahead. Win. I think it's a must win because it's a team you should – what you're supposed to beat. You know, it's not like coming in the Texas A&M game. I was on, on the hill with Pat Jenkins, and he was talking about, is this a must win against Texas A&M? I'm like, no, it's not a must win because it's a hard game. You know, you you can't expect to – just because you lose against Texas A&M, it's all is lost. Now, this Florida game is, is a game that, you know, they're supposed to win. So, yeah, it, it, going one and four and you lose against a, a, a team that you're supposed to beat, yeah, it – to me, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, I kind of think about that, and it's like then you, if you happen to lose, I'm not trying to get too far ahead, but then you go into South Carolina and you're 1-5. and five, Man, that's a really, really big uphill battle to climb. I think this team, again, is super talented, and but that's no matter how talented you are, up, climbing out of that is, is extremely tough. So, again, that's uh, Florida on Thursday on SEC Network Plus at 7 o'clock. We're up against a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the uh, some of the programs around the country trying to poach our coaches. It looks like most of them are staying put. 
Brad Davis, though, is uh, being being courted by one of the Blue Bloods in the nation. So we'll talk about that as soon as we're back. Stay with us. Straight cash, homie. With American National, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com. Call us at 501-428-0877 or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. We're back on episode number 155 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Kyle Sutherland and Porter Hayes. We're going to get into some, well, some blue bloods, I guess, are wanting to, uh, programs across the country are wanting to poach our coaches. It looks like Barry Odom is going to be staying put after a lot of Texas rumors were heating up that he was going to leave to be the defensive coordinator for a new coach, Steve Sarkeesian, after Will Muschamp reportedly turned the job down. That was about midweek last week that it was uh, everyone was getting into a panic. And now it appears that LSU is on him, which they were before, but um, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure that – I just don't see Barry Odom leaving. I don't see really any of the coaches leaving. But the most recent one, outside of Justin Stepp, of course, who's already gone – but the most recent one was within the last couple of days, Clay Helton and the USC Trojans have offered Brad Davis, our offensive line coach. And Porter, I think that this is more – I feel much better about this than I initially did against Barry, about Barry Odom. I just don't see Brad Davis leaving with the position that he's in under Sam Pittman. They have such a great relationship. And kind of like Texas, I do like to hire with Steve Sarkeesian, but I just feel like right now that, yes, Texas is a blue blood – USC is a blue blood, but with their type of scenarios that they're in right now, not necessarily a dumpster fire per se, but you just have to feel like that Arkansas is one of those jobs that it's like they're on the way up, at least in terms of what this coaching staff is trying to build. And I just don't see him leaving that situation, being with his one of his mentors, Sam Pittman, maybe the best offensive line coach still in the country. And Pittman looks at Brad Davis in that regard too, so I, I just don't see any scenario in which Brad Davis leaves this year. Yeah, and, and Sam Pittman has obviously built a culture. I mean, look at the people that stayed with, with the players and the seniors coming back. Look at your coaching staff, and you, you throw Steph out uh, because he wanted to go home. I mean, I mentioned this earlier with some of the guys as you can't really fault him for wanting to go to back home to South Carolina. I mean, I know we, on our post, we said Pelican, so we apologize to SC Nation. It was Pelion. So, but, I mean, I, I was, 
I can't remember if I said on this pod or to one of y'all, but I really respect Hunter Juracek's decision to really not put pursue it. You know, it shows on his character that, man, you want to go home. It's a $60,000 race, so it's really not about the money. It's He's wanting to go home. So, you know, it shows a lot of kudos to Hunter Juracek to be like, man, look, you want to go home? You're young. You just had a kid, and, and you want to be around the, the family? So to that, you know, that job, I seen him going. Odom would have been the most surprised. I'm kind of different with you, Kyle, because we got to remember who's – the, who was the first person Sam Pittman called when he got the job at Arkansas? It was Barry Odom. When he was on SEC Network, Barry Odom was already on his way to Fayetteville. So that one would have really surprised me, and I think that would have been the most devastating that if he would have left um, because he's trying to build that foundation, and you're trying to build that defense. He's got a lot to prove, and some of these D.C. guys, if they're really vetted, you look at Brent Venables and Clemson, I don't think he ever wants to be a head coach. I think he knows how hard it is for a defensive-minded coach to really coach a head coach a team now. So with Barry Odom and the dumpster fire that's going on in LSU, I would not touch that with a 10-foot pole. I mean, you're just asking for sanctions and, and you know scholarship reductions, bowl bans. So what's the point in trying to build something when, one, you're going to get 20 scholarship players taken away from you, then you can't even play in a bowl game. But number one, it's just I think him and Sam Pittman have a tight bond, and I don't really know personally, so, I mean, I might be wrong. I might be swinging and missing on it, but just from what I'm gathering is I feel like they're all trying to build this culture, and he's wanting to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I uh, I, I don't see any coach, especially with LSU, I do not see any – fairly big name coach touching that at all, just considering the fact that we don't know what's going to happen with these allegations. I can't remember his name, the Cincinnati defensive coordinator. I, I imagine he probably would have taken that job. Not necessarily. I'm not saying he would have over Notre Dame, but I know they were courting him before he accepted the position with Notre Dame. Uh, uh, Notre Dame. Cause I mean, you're in the same recruiting area. Yeah. You know, you're familiar with the same recruiting base yeah. and, and, and Notre Dame is another job like Texas, you know, Texas hasn't won a national championship. Vince Young. Notre Dame really hasn't done since the eighties, but they had that nostalgia, that name, that mm-hmm. Notre Dame play like a champion. So it's, that's one of them schools that when they come calling, you listen. Yeah. And, and well, with LSU, I think that that's one of those two in, in most cases now. Yeah. Like you said, Notre Dame does have the name and just dating back from all of their history, just kind of in a way, sort of like Michigan does. I know Michigan's much more in shambles than Notre Dame, but just, and that goes back to the, you know, the blue blood name of Texas and USC, despite what they're in, they, they still, like, I don't know, like there was some arguments of like whether if going to Texas right now would be a demotion, not at all, because just because of what, what they have in Austin, the boosters that they have, the amount of money, all the things that they have at their disposal. But I, I was just saying with LSU though, I just, I, I don't see any kind of scenario where any kind of big name is going to take that right now. Maybe that coach O does get a, a, guy that turns out well and ends up running his defense the way that he wants to do it and they're they're back to success. I don't think they're going to see the kind of success that they saw from 2019. I don't think that that'll it's going to be hard pressed to ever duplicate that uh, at least as an overall team, especially an offense ever again. But 
I want to go back to Justin Step real quick because I had talked to a couple of people about this and I made a Facebook post about it. And by the way, uh, that was my bad on the Pelican <laughs> post. Autocorrect got me as it did so many times. But I want—I know that there's probably not any South Carolina fans listening. But I want to look, look before you say yeah. my dad's from South Carolina. I, I yeah. lived in upstate and I didn't even know there was a Pelican. So yeah. yeah, well, that's what Step said because I well I, I posted that. And it's funny, the funniest thing that I saw, that I found out, because that actually, that news broke about 20 minutes after we had just recorded the pod, so we didn't get it on last week's. So I, I posted on Facebook, I posted on Twitter, and obviously I was able to edit it on Facebook because Twitter still hasn't caught up with the times. But all these South Carolina fans, which by the way, thanks for all the free plugs, we appreciate that, it got quite a bit of traction. They're all saying, like, saying, oh, you guys, that, that's, there was, there was literally some fans that said that's the reason why he left. So, Razorback fans, I'd like to apologize. It's my fault that Justin Stepp left because I spelt his hometown wrong. But, by the way, Pelican, South Carolina sounds pretty cool, if you ask me. Yeah. But, <laughs> like but hey, the U of A website had it wrong. Yeah. Too. They, they had, I think they had, uh, was it uh, Pelon? Yeah. Without the I. Yeah, so, whatever. so after We're I mainly had about a name than, than losing to Citadel. So, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, they, South Carolina fans deserve it. Well, and I, I'll give them a, a dollar if they could uh, tell me that he went. I told you guys this. I'll give them a dollar if they could have told me that he went to Furman, which I also added in there. If, if they could have done that without Googling, send me your Venmo. I'll, I'll uh, shoot that over to you. But, I, I was getting at though is I, I messaged him the next day on Facebook. And the reason why I did that is because I wanted to tell him, you know, first of all, how much I appreciate him as a fan, but also too, I can relate to him. You know, I was in Texas for three years and, and I, I mentioned this on my Facebook when I shared the, when I shared uh, his, his post or his response back to me, but you know, he said, Oh, no big deal about the, about the name, you know, like most people can't even pronounce it. And then, you know, he said like, basically I'll, I'll always have the hogs in my heart. And, there's no doubt that that guy is just a genuine human being. And for people to, you know, you're going to have this anytime that you have any kind of platform where somebody can type something on a keyboard and basically have no kind of any, any punishment, especially when you don't have a profile picture or your actual name. But man, I, I can relate to this so well, just because it was less than a year ago that I came back home to my home state. And I'm, I'm not good enough to ever get national in media, but I'll tell you this, I can promise you, and I know it might be easy to say like right here on, as we're recording on January 10th, 2021, but I will never, ever leave this state again. I, if I am ever blessed enough to do media full time, I will cover nothing but Arkansas, not necessarily the Razorback. I'm just saying staying within Arkansas. I say all that to say that I know where, what he was coming from. You know, he's in his mid thirties. Your parents aren't getting any younger. I'm, I'm assuming his parents are still alive. I don't know that, but I'm, but I'm saying people don't get any, any younger. You get older as each second goes by. He has a little boy that's around like, I believe, two, three years old, has a newborn daughter that was in the NICU for quite some time. I believe she's doing okay now. So I totally understand why. But either way, whether I understood it or not, it's none of my business. It's none of anybody else's business. And so, you know, I just, it, I think it needs to be said that, you know, shame on you if you are one of those fans that who was dogging him for that, saying he, he was a traitor and all this crap. And get out of here. Like there is, I, I can say pretty, I, I feel pretty positive or pretty confident in saying that there was no other wide receiver coach position that he was going to leave other than South Carolina. Now, if it would have been like a title of the passing game coordinator that would have been a major promotion or an offensive coordinator, because I almost feel like, and I've said this to you guys too, Porter, is I almost feel like that they were kind of training him to be an offensive coordinator because he was always right there by Kendall Briles. Now, I'm not necessarily saying an, an OC at Arkansas, 
but he was always right there as Browse's right-hand man. Now, you had John Cooper, the tight ends coach, that was usually up in the box. But, uh, you know, this is a great recruiter that we are losing, a great coach that we are losing, a great person. But Kenny Guyton, man, he's one of the up-and-coming guys. He's just in his, like, mid to late 20s, and we got a great response from the receivers that are already on the team. Yeah, and with the step, you know, it's funny. You were talking about the dollar to the South Carolina fans. It's like, could you honestly give a dollar to any Arkansas fan that could have told you where Steph was originally from? I mean, the average fan, they wouldn't know where he's from. And I guarantee if they had looked up his bio, and even if it said South Carolina, like, they couldn't have put two and two together and be like, oh, that's right next to Columbia. Well, Columbia is where South Carolina is. But the whole thing with the Guyton guy, a lot of people are going to, you know, razz him, you know, have no Ohio State ties. But if you can get a good, proven, up-and-coming wide receivers coach, you want somebody who can connect with the wide receiver room and really connect with those guys and, and develop them. I yeah. think they hit a home run. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, I do too. You don't want somebody to run the offense. You just want somebody to take over that wide receiver with the drills and different things. And there's so much talent and so much talent coming in. That's one of the most important. If you lost step now to me before all the Odom talk, it was a bad man. That was bad that step left because not from him leaving personally, it was just the effect because how many people he got to come and stay at Arkansas when everything fell apart, when Morris left. Well, and talking about that, uh, as I noticed earlier, so again, we are recording on a Sunday. I noticed earlier today that the state's number one prospect, according to the two, four, seven composite rankings, Quincy McAdoo, the, the wide receiver from Clarendon did commit to Florida state. Ah, man, that was that was a little bit of a shocker. Now, you know, it's not the end of the road. Just It's not until you sign the dotted line. But we know that Step was his recruiter. And so I was kind of talking to a couple people today that are closer to him. I've never seen Quincy play. I've never met him, never talked to him or anything. But I, I did talk to a couple people that, that do know him and have followed him a little bit. And they were a little bit shocked, too. They knew that Florida State was pretty high on his list. But it just seems that that – and, I, again, I don't know him. I don't know what the whole story was. But – you got to think that that's probably something that had to do with Step going to South Carolina. He maybe had between Arkansas and Florida State. Step leaves, and then he maybe just wanted to go ahead and get that process over with. But you know, it's I I I think personally that uh, if he end if he does end up signing with, let's say like early signing day next December, that he does end up signing with them. Man, I'm telling you, this coaching staff, I can't say it enough. They better get on Joe Hyman. I know you still got Isaiah Satagna that is on the Razorbacks' radar. They've offered him. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent in this state. And I want to say that as many times as I can just because I cover this state. But I, I, I will say that for Quincy, to, I, I don't think that a lot of people saw that coming. It may have been just something that he decided this week or within the past couple of days. But uh, either way, man, that's, you know, that is a tough blow if you lose the number one player in the state. Uh, but Mike Norvell is quietly doing a pretty good job. There was a lot of ne- negativity. Stuff, yeah. yeah, they're doing a lot. Of, there was a lot of negativity coming out of Tallahassee, but he got, uh, was it Jermaine uh, Johnson? They got, Jeremy running back. they got the running back from Auburn, and yeah. then they got the safety from South Carolina, Jamie Robinson. So yeah. they picked up a four-star recruit, and then they got two transfers. And, you know, Norvell's got a bad rap, you know, this last year. So maybe he's trying to turn things around. Maybe he's trying to rebuild because – we all know the ACC needs some competition when it comes to the conference. And there's these sleeper teams that they're going to sneak around and pick up about three or four of these four star, these 
these transfers coming in from Auburn and South Carolina. It's SEC talent. So what does the ACC need? They need more SEC talent. So they're they're sleeping in the in the grass. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is you know the last. Well, it seems basically since he's been there. Now, he had a really tough first year, but it's been pretty much negative headlines for the most part since he's been there. But I think a lot of that is probably Taggart rollover, uh, which I can't remember who it was. Somebody actually – when I shared this on Facebook, somebody commented on it and it said that uh, it's actually an, an FSU fan that it said a lot of the negativity comes from the end of the Jimbo era, also from the Taggart era, which I'm sure uh, Kendall Browles would probably have a few stories about that. But – I really don't know what the story is, but regardless, all this negativity can come in the headlines, but the reality is he's making some moves. It's just about whether he can do something with it or not. So that is what we got for that in our final segment. Uh, it's going to be our Hog House non-performer of the week. Let's go ahead and cue the music. So, Porter, we were talking about this uh, over the last couple of days. I guess it happened on Friday night. So for those that missed it, uh, the officiating for the UALR, or just Little Rock Trojans, and Louisiana Lafayette game on Friday night, get our Hog House non-performer of the week, ULL won 78-76 in OT. Essentially what happened is, is Euler was taking the ball. I still call him Euler. That's where my degree's from, so I guess I'll just still say that. They were taking the ball down the court for the final drive, and uh, they're trying to set up a shot. Basically, the court just goes black in the last five seconds, and then like some red dim red dim lights come on it was like the undertaker's music was about to start and he was about to make an entrance but uh basically what we'll do is i'll just go ahead and uh, let you guys hear what happened after that or during that whole entire fiasco comes away with the rebound 10 seconds left trojans trail by two we'll see how they'll play five it. seconds oh my goodness what's going on Three ball from Munyong, and oh, I don't man. think that that is the shot that they wanted. The red lights came on early. Coach Walker is upset. He's at the scores table, and man, he is Monyong, not happy. Yeah, the lights that is came on. Really not the three pointer that the Trojans wanted. And now I think the officials are going to get together and talk about this one. They'll say oh, no. The game's not. over. Red light. Yeah, so that's essentially what happened. Basically, he's taking the ball down the court. Um, I believe his name was Marquise Noel. He's the point guard for Euler. And, yeah, they're about to take the final shot. He, The lights go dark, and then it comes on red, and then they come back on again. And then he just tosses it over. The guy t- launches up a prayer, and then you're screwed, basically. Uh, so. I can't get over how the announcers were like, well, that wasn't the shot that we – well, no crap. Yeah, I mean, you, the, you're, the whole thing was out of sync. I mean, it, I mean it, it's almost like, you know, you're playing pickup ball and somebody calls a foul and you just throw up a shot. It's like he just threw up the shot, and of course you say play to the whistle or whatever, but those lights go out and – not like in a football stadium all these lights go out and it's dark but the red lights come on and it's i don't it just seemed like everybody was confused and how they come together as a ref crew and was like um game's over it, they should have had the ball and the conference even come out with a statement saying they should have given the ball back 
at the half court and let them continue on. And I got to give Daryl Walker, so former Razorback Daryl Walker that played in the mid-80s under Eddie Sutton, the uh, head coach for Little Rock, I got to give him credit. I mean, he was definitely livid, as you would expect, but I, I don't know. This is probably one as a coach that I would just go ahead and take the fine and the presser because I would have been all over these refs. Uh, I mean, he basically just said there was no explanation on the floor, just that the game was over with. I'm not going to get into it. It is what it is. We lost. We'll move on and get ready for the next game. I mean, hey, props to you, man. I just I don't know that I would have been able to take the high road on that one. But Darrell Walker's done a really good job at Euler. I've followed him since, I guess, right around the – not too long after I graduated from there is when – Chris Beard, who's now at Texas Tech, done a really good job there. Almost won the national championship a couple years ago. They, uh, When Wes Flanagan took the program over, they struggled and, and really just was not in a good position. So Walker takes it over in 2018-19, goes 10-21, and 21, 11th in the conference. And then the next year he flips that record. So last season, 21-10, and 15-5 in conference. It just sucks because he was – they were first in the Sun Belt, but the season got canceled due to COVID. <laughs> so they were one of the many that uh, that really just didn't benefit from that. And so, but tough outing, man. Well, I wanted to do an NFL report, but I mean, we've got the Browns that are just kicking the crap out of hey, the. I asked this the, question on Twitter, I, and you, maybe you know, has there ever been a team that has just completely imploded? as bad as the Steelers have down the stretch. I'll tell you, I think they were still undefeated at this point, but when they played the Cowboys, and Garrett Gilbert actually had a really good game, had not played in an NFL game, I don't think ever. He hardly had been in and out of like semi-pro leagues. I know he played in the AAF when before that one folded for the Orlando team coached by Steve Spurrier. Did a pretty good job there, but he had a really good game too against the one game that he started against the Steelers, and the Cowboys dang near won it. I realized right then that I was like, I just don't think this team is for real. I know that they got lucky a couple times, won a couple of close ones. They had a pretty solid defense, but I just have not been sold on the Steelers whatsoever. I didn't know that they would – and who knows, by the time we get done recording, it could be a totally different game once the once it actually ends. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's just – I mean, hey, props to the Browns, though, man. That fan base has been just kind of like the Bills. I don't, I don't know that you can – that you can compare the loyalty of the Bills to really almost any other fan base in pro sports. But, man, the Browns, you know, they've – all these years they've – filled up that stadium, or at least they've gotten it pretty close, and they finally make the playoffs for the first time. I think the last time they made the playoffs, I was like 12. So I remember well, that when Butch Davis. Well, they played them last week, and, and everybody said, well, y'all just beat them because everybody was sitting out. You know, they didn't want to play. They didn't care to play. So to play a team, especially in the NFL, which is rarely an occurrence, they played the same team back-to-back. They said, okay, we'll run it back. They're up 28 nothing with about 12 minutes left to go in the half. So – yeah, they really come to play. Yeah, and it was cool to see uh, Lamar Jackson got a got his first playoff win against the Titans. It was looking like the Titans were going to probably run away with that one. Their defense, great as always. I think in the first half, they sacked Lamar like four times. And But I'll tell you, man, that Ravens defense, they really put it on Derrick Henry. And uh, the how about, how about the Bears and Saints? You would think that that would have been, or at least on the Saints part, would have been a lot more high scoring. But they move on. And uh, as you would expect, I don't think that many people – had the Bears in that game, but uh, man, I, I gotta I tell you too. His ribs, I think, I think Breeze's ribs is still not a hundred percent. Yeah, well, and I want to say too, I, this is another Facebook post that I made, but man, I got to give some props to the Redskins. You know, because of because of Cam Curl, you know, former Razorback, his dad Greg, a friend of the show, was one of the first ever guests that Jacob and Ty had on. I believe he was episode five or six. And man, Cam, you know, coming from a seventh round draft pick 
to uh, what he's done this year. Six, uh, it was either late sixth or early seventh, but either way, it was a late round pick. And to come out and has basically started almost the entire year once Landon Collins went down, and uh, and Washington has just been phenomenal. I apologize if I said their former. I'm still known to say their former mascot uh, just out of habit all these years. But man, and and of course Alex Smith, what he was able to do. Now I know he didn't play, but Porter does it not just make you mad like to see Taylor Hinckley play as well as he did, and that guy's an NFL journeyman, and then Dwayne Haskins for all that talent just to go to waste the way that it has. I mean, it's almost like you got all these guys that are trying. So we know guys that are still trying to get a shot at the league, and you're a first-round talent in Dwayne Haskins, and you go and pull the knucklehead stuff that he does. Yeah, it does. because, But you got to look. You come out of high school, you're a five-star. You go to Ohio State, you're the man. You get in the NFL, and we've seen this happen to a lot of quarterbacks. How many Heisman quarterbacks – have really, and I'm not saying he won a Heisman. I'm just putting this in perspective. How many Heisman quarterbacks have come into the NFL and really done good? A lot of these guys that, you know, especially the era we live now, they expect everything to be given to them, and then they really have to get in the NFL and and put in that hard work, and that's where you really see the the talent and the guy just checks out. And now you got this journeyman, but I, I don't want to be a spoiler, but it's like I want to pump the brakes a little because this is a thing that really kind of rubs me the raw way with media a guy has one game and now we're putting yeah. on this pencil yeah. and oh he's he's definitely deserves a starting spot next year i mean look at what we went through with costello and corral in mm-hmm. the sec you know, costello was a preseason or what has been hopeful one game in the season and then look what happened. So I think the media now gets caught up in these one game situations or even a one season situation. And these guys should automatically be the best player. We see it in the NBA. How many, how many players have been the best in the world the last five years? I know they put LeBron up there as the goat, but you've had KD, you've had Curry, you had Kawhi Leonard. I mean, so I want it to be earned. I want to see this guy do it next year or, or even come as a backup and really do good before I'm really to start giving these guys praise because and we just put a lot of praise on these guys after one or two games. No, that's a great point. I mean, we saw it with Jalen Hurts a couple of just a month ago. It's like they're oh, this is the guy that has to take over for Carson Wentz. Let's trade him away. And then he struggles the last couple of games of the season. So you're exactly right. We do that a lot in the NFL. I mean, it's these these big – Jimmy G was the high – at one point was the highest-paid quarterback before he even started a freaking game for – like, it's – well, I mean, a lot of people are before they start games for certain franchises. But I think at that point, he had had like seven – Start like it wasn't very many under his under his belt, and so yeah, we we have these knee jerk reactions. It's just like, oh, this guy. So I'm with you on Taylor. I, I think that the uh, definitely there needs to be a quarterback competition. We don't know what's going to happen with Alex Smith. There's talks of his retirement. If he does, man, what a way to go out. Just the fact that you know a year ago we've said this too that he was either told he went from being told he was going to die told he was losing his leg, told he was not going to play football ever again, told that he probably would never get on the field. And look what they did. So it was a great deal. So his, his wife, did you see what his wife did? Something about a statue oh, with his. Yeah. So the, his leg brace, mm-hmm. she turned it into a trophy yeah. and, and put it up in, in their house. So when he's having a bad day, he can look at that. And it's a pretty cool freaking trophy looking. I've seen it on one of the posts on social media. And 
So it's really cool that you can turn something like that into something that can uplift you yeah. or remind you where you've been. You're talking about that journeyman. You know, when you've been rock bottom and now you work your way back up, man. Yeah. If he goes out, I don't think anybody's going to say anything and they're all going to tip their hat to him and say, and go, go have a good rest of your life. Yeah. And he's got some young kids. And so, man, it's just, it's uh, great to, um, to basically, I mean, his leg is certainly not back to normal. If you've seen it, it's, it's pretty gruesome still, but man, just to overcome that, I, I still remember. And, and, you know, I still remember when the injury happened that particular day at that time, the Cowboys were three and five and, and the Redskins were in control of the division. And so in my mind, I still remember that day and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm happy the Cowboys might be taking a turn, but at the same time, man, like to see that happen to a human being is just, Oh God, it was I still just gives you the heebie jeebies. But well, before we close it out here, I guess. Uh, so technically as you're listening to this today, tonight is the national championship. Who you got Bama, Ohio state. I got Bama. Yeah. Same um, here. Just, just the two, two offensive heavy. And this is no saltiness because of what happened with the Ohio state Clemson game. I mean, one thing I've learned this year, and I haven't shared it with anybody, is like once you really cover sports, you're able to really take a step back and your fan hat really starts to fade a little bit. Like I was really able to watch last week's game. Yeah, I was a fan. But, I mean, when you really look at it, they got dominated. And I could say that, you know, on my Facebook post. There was usually, you know, want to make excuses or, well, this happened. But I just think with if Waddle is even on the field, that's going to – create a mismatch and at a point I got to go on a SCC nation conference call and I asked Tim Tebow you know with the Heisman Trophy presentation all these award ceremonies not they're virtual you know, does that give Alabama an advantage because you know not all this stuff is on theatrics they're actually able to do virtual and really stay focused in their game plan and another thing with the Ohio State is um did they put everything into that Clemson game? They wanted that game more than anything. They practiced and, and had the score of that game all year. So did they put all their energy into winning that game? Because you see that. You had this huge win, and then you have a letdown. And I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout, but I just don't think that they can really step up to the likes of Alabama because – Alabama this year is one of the best teams I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, same here. And I, I've kind of got that same exact scenario. It's just, I mean, I don't see Justin Smith. Justin Smith, Justin Fields is going to have to have a better game to me than what Vince Young had against USC in 2006, and I just don't see that happening. Justin Fields was phenomenal against Clemson, six touchdowns. I just don't see that duplicated. Now, I could see this Ohio State offense. They've got a lot of speed. Just like Bama does, I think that they could hang with them for a little bit, but I do think that Bama could bust it wide open. Who knows? Maybe it could be one of those deals uh, where Saban goes for a onside kick to open up the half, and then they blow it open right for that. But I do think Bama is going to win by at least two touchdowns. Like you said, if Waddle's on the field, even as a decoy, he's still going to draw attention. And Najee Harris, phenomenal running the ball, and that's the thing too that Bama's always had great offensive lines. But this is the best offensive line probably that they've ever had under Saban, at least maybe in the top two or three, along with probably the best overall skill player set that he's had the entire time that he's been there. So I just don't see it happening. I've got I've got Bama at least 49 to – I'll say 49-35. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it could be close to 100 points. But, uh, yeah, I just I don't see it happening. So 
I got 47-31. Yeah. I don't think Justin Fields is just going to be able to chuck it 60 yards down the field and, and score yeah. three touchdowns. Yeah. Just the way he, the receivers were able to get behind, you know, Clemson's secondary. I don't think that's going to happen. Also, Ohio State was really able to confuse the defense. And really, and if you look at the game and really break it down, they could have ran more all over Clemson than they did because it's like Venables was slanting. And if they would have ran counter plays, they could have had – Sermon could have had six touchdowns by himself. So I don't see that defensive game plan happening. I think they're going to have a little bit of success on the run defense. Now Sermon might ball out. But, yeah, I got 47-31. So we're pretty close on it. But, man, it's just – it's crazy, though. You know, we've said it all season. It's it's crazy that football season's over, college football, but thankful to have made it this far. I was very thankful to make it during high school and very thankful to make it here. And so – Man, you know. Hey, look, before we end, man, yeah. let, let's give a shout-out to the the players, you know, the college players, the high school players, mm-hmm. the coaches, the staff, because I think a lot gets lost in that. We're, we're cool as fans, and we're happy to finish time, but you know, I want to give a round of applause to everybody who participated in this season who really took their time to go through the testing and give their all in high school, middle school, middle league, anybody that you know, played in any kind of sport, not just football. All these kids that are out there balling in basketball, football, softball. So I think they deserve a lot of credit in what they're getting. Oh, I completely agree. But a lot of I think it's to your typical fan, and we're we're your typical fan too. I mean, we we are just like everybody else. You think about coming out on the field and playing the game. You don't think about like what they have to go through in their everyday life, you know, having to wear the mask at school, trying to social distance at school, and then the college athletes, man, you know, man. You try to tell me when I was now, I wasn't a highly regarded athlete, but you try to tell me when I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, I can't go hang out. And I mean, I guess they can't technically can't tell them that, but at the same time too, you also have to be smart about things. And that's what most of these players have did. You know, I mean, there was a good bit of, there was over a hundred cancellations in high school football in Arkansas. Eight teams had to opt out of the playoffs, but you know what? Overall, they did a fantastic job. College. A lot of the NFL, now some NFL players were quite irresponsible, but that's, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, I, I you said it, man. It's just been uh, it's been great overall, and, and we're thankful to get to this point. And we're just hoping that we can uh, continue on with basketball and, and with, with baseball as that gets closer. And so, but I think that will wrap it up. Guys, again, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe anywhere you listen. We are there. But other than that, we will see you Friday. Be safe. Be cool and go hogs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.